You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Well, it's good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. Luke 6, 27, or you can turn in page 915 there in the Pew Bible. Well, we've been looking at the hard sayings of Jesus where we've been surveying some of the more challenging, uh, difficult, or shocking and surprising things that Jesus teaches us, his disciples, how we must live. Now, a lot of these hard sayings, really what makes them difficult is sometimes they're difficult to interpret. Okay, what did he mean by that? that that's one kind of a level of the hard saying. But the other, other level, the really difficult section is the actual living of them. It's very easy to study the hard sayings and go, okay, here's what Jesus means, here's what he says. It is another supernatural thing altogether to begin to actually live them. Because we could all go through the one we're gonna go through today and we could affirm that was a good thing to hear. And we could walk out and not do it. But the hard part, the supernatural part, the part that goes against the grain of our flesh is actually the living of what Jesus calls for. And what we must see is Jesus demands these things. And if Jesus is our risen Lord, if he is our savior, we must see that he does demand these things and that he empowers us to live them. And he's not calling us to do anything that he hasn't done. And he's not calling us to do anything that he's not empowering us to do by the spirit of the risen Christ. And today, especially where we're called to love our enemies to love our enemies. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word and we'll begin in verse 27. And Jesus says to us, but I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we need supernatural help to love those who hate us, who mistreat us, who curse us. And if we are children of the Most High, we appeal to you, would you help us and lead us by the power of your son, our Lord, our big brother now, by his spirit. 
Help us now, King Jesus. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of the favorite things I think to watch on the internet, especially because of the advent of technology and they're just hilarious or shocking sometimes to watch, are dash cam videos. And really not so much American dash cam videos. We're pretty tame drivers when it comes to things like that. I'm talking Russian dash cam videos. These people get into it over there. And one of my favorite ones I saw recently was a video of a truck cutting off this car and they start yelling at each other. They're honking, trying to swerve and kind of hit each other. Well, then they pull over and one guy gets out of his car and starts approaching the other one. Then you know, this is going to be good already. And so the other guy gets out of his car and you think they're going to they're gonna go to fisticuffs. Here it comes. Well, one dude grabs a bat out of his car. And it's amazing that he's got the bat in his passenger seat and he takes out the bat and starts approaching the other guy. Then the guy sees the bat and he starts backing away, but then he grabs an ax out of his car. And then they start coming at each other. And the guy with the bat, just like every other Russian traffic altercation, you don't bring a bat to an ax fight. And he throws the bat in the car and then drives off. Now, that video really taught me a couple of things. One, you better believe I got on Amazon that day and bought an axe and put it in my, in my truck. Secondly, that video really highlights for us on a very different level the kind of altercation and conflict we can have with another human being and how it can escalate to degrees that are just nonsense. It may not be with axes, it may not be with bats, but with our words, with our attitudes, we've seen this kind of escalation in our relationships. And we've responded just like those videos. But Jesus wants to call us to another way to love our enemies. And it begins with this kind of agile love and kindness. Look at verse 27. So Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. This is already a difficult saying. Love your enemies. Love those who hate you. Don't fight fire with fire. Don't fight bat with axe. Love. Don't let the haters get the best of you. You know, the world says, do all these things. You got to clap back. Jesus says none of that. Clap back with something else, with love. Love your enemies. This is already a radical statement because the kingdom of God is the most radical reality in the universe. Because if we live in the ecosystem of grace, this means everything is different than how we automatically think. Jesus tells us to look at our relationships and the people that maybe the world and that maybe even we would classify as enemies, and we have to take a different plan with them, one of love. Now, I know you might already be thinking, I don't really have any enemies. I mean, I think about my life. Do I have any enemies? I haven't had an enemy since fourth grade when I popped Lee Marshall in the face on the playground. Maybe since your siblings have grown up, you're like, I don't really have any enemies anymore. Well, it reminds me of the parable when Jesus is teaching and he says, love your neighbor. And what happens? A guy is trying to wiggle his way out and he goes, well, who's my neighbor? Because he's trying to evade the call of Christ. And Jesus tells him about the good Samaritan. And so now we can even feel the temptation in our flesh to kind of try to get out of what Jesus is saying by going, well, I don't have any enemies. So who's my enemy? We have lots. 
word just really means someone who is against you, who's, a, who's opposed to you. And Jesus helps us by giving us more examples. So look at what Jesus does. Love your enemies. Now look at how he defines it even more. Do what is good to, to who? Those who hate you. 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So you see the layers that Jesus is giving. Yeah, an enemy. Okay, what does that mean? Someone who hates you, someone who curses you, who just says bad things to you, wishes evil against you, and then someone who just mistreats you. Jesus puts the fish eye lens on this force and he he helps us widen the angle to really see more of what he's saying. You have people in your life where it seems like they hate you. A coworker that really, they go out of their way to be unkind. They ignore you on purpose. They try and undermine you. They, They email you something dumb that they think that you did or you didn't do, you were late on something, and then they CC the boss in. They flat out don't like you, mistreat you. You maybe have a boss that is legitimately and illegitimately unfair to you. A colleague that couldn't be more obvious in their disdain, a neighbor who just because you parked in his grass one time while you were moving in, he wants to tow your truck because he's a tow truck driver. And I guess he likes to tow stuff on his off time. Not that that happened to me. (laughs) I mean, you start to get a fuller picture of what is Jesus talking about here with enemies? Those who hate you, those who curse you, those who mistreat you. And really, Jesus is asking now, what is your reflex here? Reflexes are an amazing thing. I mean, I, I remember the first time as an adult when I went to the doctor and he actually took at that little rubber hammer and hit my knee and it did the thing like in movies. That's incredible. I didn't know that actually worked. Jesus is drilling down to our reflexes when we are hated or mistreated. What do you really want to do? And if you're honest, sometimes, this is why Jesus says this, we want to hate back. We want to curse back. We want to mistreat back. Our gut reaction a lot of times is to store it up and then save it and then launch it at the right time. But Jesus says, my kingdom operates on a different level. Love your enemies. And in the same way, we can go, well, who's my enemy? We can go, well, what does it mean to love? Jesus helps us there. Desire their good and do it. Look at what he says. So in the same way we could follow enemy, you can follow love. Love your enemies. Oh, what do you mean, Jesus? Do what is good to those who hate you. 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. This love isn't stationary. This love is agile. It can respond in more than one way. It's really easy to say, I love my enemies and I'm gonna love my enemies. I don't have a theology of loving my enemies. It is Christianity to actually love them. It is following the risen Christ to actually do good to them, to actually bless them and to actually pray for them. He gives us practical actions here. Do what is good, bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Don't return evil for evil, bless them. Say the right things to them. Hope God blesses them. Pray that their business would flourish and not burn down and rats carry away the pieces. And I think this one, because you could, you could do good to those who hate you. You could bless those who curse you. And the last one, it's like Jesus takes it to the highest 
the highest like mark of, I'm really trying to love this person. Pray for those who mistreat you. Pray for them. I love that Jesus says this because we can think, okay, well, uh, I bought Tiffany an accounting Starbucks and so now I'm living like Christ. I'm being a kingdom person. We're not. That was a good thing to do. But Jesus is calling for more. And don't think because you resisted the urge to hide cranky Aunt Tatum's dentures at Thanksgiving that you're living like Christ. Not that any of us have ever been tempted with anything like that, with a cranky old relative. Jesus calls us to more because we are still prone to thinking that if I didn't do evil in return, that I'm doing enough. Jesus says, no, I want you to not just not do evil. I want you to do good. I want you to bless. I want you to pray for them. I want you to put their name on your heart and in your mouth and in your prayers. And I want you to send that name to the throne room of our gracious father. And I want you to ask God not to smite them, but God to bless them. That God would save them. That God would change their life. That they would meet Christ. Pray for those who mistreat you. I saw this past week, a friend of mine, Doug Logan, who's a pastor in New Jersey, his car was vandalized. Just tons of rocks smashing his windows, scratched up on the side, thousands and thousands of dollars of damage. And his wife, Angel, her response was, we gotta pray for these hooligans. We gotta pray for these vandals. Pray for those who mistreat you. Of course, there are times of injustice and legitimate righteous anger, but that's, that's not what we're talking about right here. Jesus is showing us when you are stewing over someone, he says you should be praying for them. When you are fuming, Jesus says you should be loving. And you can think so often, you just, if, you're, if you're married, you, you know that you could be talking to your spouse about someone that irritated you, someone who mistreated you, someone who hates you, someone who cursed you. And here Jesus is saying in that moment, pray for them. And that's why as husband and wife, friends, missional communities, when we hear these kinds of things, we got to remember the words of Christ here and go, you know, we should pray for that person right now. We're not just going to empower each other's complaining. We're going to pray for that person right now. Why? Why should we do that? Listen, the world is a street fight, but we are the people in this world who've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer us who live. And the lives that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And that it's, since it's no longer us who live, our lives have been bought with a price and they are not our own. The kingdom of God roots out our selfishness and all of our me-ism. Because listen, you can only love an enemy if you've laid down your life. You can only love an enemy if you've killed your pride and if you've given up the pursuit of your name and your reputation and you're lifting up the name of Christ. Because how can we really be the people who are gonna talk about grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and yet we still want revenge? Jesus is calling us to a radical, revengeless way of life. We can't be people who talk about grace on Sunday then talk about revenge on Monday. You can only bless those who curse you if you see yourself crucified with Christ, who could say from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus looks right at us today and says, love your enemies. Do good to them. Pray for them. Bless them. 
So who is the enemy the Lord is bringing to mind? Who is the person that you think, man, this person really hates me? Who is the person that seems they just mistreat you? The Lord is supernaturally inviting you to love this person. And you really have an option. You can either obey and follow Christ and the grace that he's going to give you, or you can disobey. Jesus demands this. Because listen, if we're born again, kingdom dwelling people, and yet we want to act just like the world, have we been made new? If our way of handling our enemies is the same way our enemies handle their enemies, how can we be confident that we're children of the most high God? The way we operate, if we've been born again, if we've been made new, it cannot be the old ways. It must be the ways of the kingdom. And Jesus gives us another layer to it by, by saying, there will be no fight and no flight among my people. Look at verse 29. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Now, what's happening here, this might be some of the most misunderstood teachings from from Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus isn't advocating for it. Just let yourself get beat up. Or let others get pulverized. Don't call the police if you're getting robbed. This is not what Jesus is teaching. This is hyperbole. These are exaggerated statements like Jesus often does. And these statements, turn the other cheek, give them your shirt. This is in the context of loving our enemies, living in the kingdom, wanting others to know Christ. So Jesus is saying here, don't fight back and don't run away either. To love your enemies will mean don't hate them, but also don't give up on them. This is what turn the other cheek means. Look at 29 again. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. Now, a slap on the cheek, a hit on the cheek, also in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and 6. This phrase, this, this idea right here, this is, an in, this is an insult. This is a demeaning action. And so to turn the other cheek, it, it shows us a couple things. To turn the other cheek doesn't mean, uh, you know, just let them insult you. Just, just kind of step back and just, just take it. It's not what it means. It means something much more than that. To turn the other cheek, so you're being hit on one side, and to turn the other one is to acknowledge what you've done is wrong. I'm not going to let you just keep doing that to me over and over and over. So I'm turning away from that. I'm saying that is wrong. We're not going to operate that way. I'm not going to let you keep doing that. But to offer the other one means, but I'm not leaving either. We can start over. We can have a fresh start. I have a fresh side. I'm here. This is more than just, you know, be insulted for being insulted's sake. It wouldn't be loving to just let people continue to sin either, but to call them to repentance and grace. But it is loving to say, that was wrong that happened between us. And I'm not going to get into a battle with you, but I'm not giving up on you either. I won't ignore you. And that's my temptation. I'm I'm not going to get into a verbal battle with someone over a relationship. What happened is if I I got struck on the cheek, I'd be like, all right, see ya, bye. I'm out. But Jesus says, no, don't. To turn the other cheek is to say, I'm I'm not leaving. I'm still here. We can start over again. Love doesn't leave because it knows there's so much at stake. That eternity is at stake here. 
The Apostle Paul could keep going to his enemies, keep marching into cities that hated him, cities that stoned him, and people that wanted to murder him because he knew how much was at stake. The early church could love those in Rome even while Rome hated them. While a plague was sweeping through the city, killing thousands and thousands of people, the Christians would stay and love their enemies because they knew how much was at stake. Love doesn't leave. Love doesn't fight. Love doesn't fight because it knows how much is at stake. Even the phrase when he says, if someone wants your coat, give him your shirt too. I think, it's, I think this phrase, we know where it comes from. I'll give you the shirt off my back. I think it comes right from here. It's radical generosity. Doesn't leave, doesn't fight back, and it also gives radical generosity. Jesus is calling us to a complete revengeless way of life. Then Jesus gives us, I think, one of the most profound yet simple sentences in the history of the world. And it's here in verse 31. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. The golden rule. This, this verse, this would change all of our relationships. Yes, it would change the way we, we handle our enemies. It would change our marriages. It would change our friendships. It would change our parenting. This verse would change really everything about the way we live as Christ is teaching us. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If we would just begin by faith to put this into practice, our lives would look completely different. I know mine would. This idea isn't new. Other teachers and rabbis at the time had something like this, but Jesus was the first one to put it in a positive sense. Everyone else taught something like, don't do the evil that was done to you. See, it's negative. Don't, don't return evil for evil. But that doesn't teach anything about mercy, doesn't teach anything about justice and kindness and peace and patience. But Jesus puts it positively. What you want done to you, do for others. This is kingdom living in every relationship. It would inform all of life. You wish that employee was more considerate to you? Do it to them, even though they haven't earned it. You wish that other soccer parent would say something nice? You say it. I mean, this really gets to the kernel of everything in life, so much so that C.S. Lewis, he wrote a letter to a friend, apologizing to this friend for calling a mutual friend of theirs boring in a private conversation. So there's Lewis and a friend at dinner. He calls a colleague, a friend of theirs. He says, that guy is boring. And then Lewis writes in this letter, in this letter asking for forgiveness, saying, anyway, why I'm asking for forgiveness about this? Because it really comes under the golden rule. Each of us, no doubt, is a bore to some people. I should like those whom I bore to treat me kindly and justly. And therefore, I must be kind and just to those who bore me. Now, he didn't say, oh, that guy's not boring. Because when the guy is boring, but I shouldn't have been talking about him like that. This is practical, powerful, life-changing Christianity that C.S. Lewis's view of the golden rule, it infiltrated down even into the supposed privacy of a conversation between him and a friend. I shouldn't have been talking about him that way because I don't want people talking about me that way. Now, we got to be careful with the golden rule because we can easily manipulate it for our own good. Like an introvert can say, well, I wish people would leave me alone, so I'm going to leave people alone too. That's not what this means. 
Like you want to be respected. So it means we should respect others. You want to be loved, and so we should love. You want people to be kind to you, so you should be kind to them. I want others to be patient with me and tender and and encouraging, so we should be the same. Just as you wouldn't want others to fight you when you do wrong, but to forgive you, Jesus says, you do the same. If you believe in me, do the same. Just as you want others to stay committed to you, to turn the other cheek and not abandon you, but to help you, you do the same. Beloved, if we would follow the golden rule, our church and our city, our community would be the most awesomely bizarre thing on earth. I think just like Paul says, that we would learn to not repay anyone evil for evil, but give careful thought to what you do is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Love your enemies. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. God will take care of the injustice and the wrong. And there are times where we should seek mercy, seek justice, like Micah tells us. I think when it's talking about these personal things right here, wrongs, I'm going to seek vengeance against it. On some of these, leave room for God's wrath. Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy's hungry, do good to him. Feed him. If he's thirsty, do good to him. Bless him. Give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will heap fire, you'll be heaping fiery coals on his head. What does that mean? It doesn't mean what your flesh wants it to mean. Do good to him and then you'll really get him. That's not, that can't be what this means. You can just tell by the context, but yeah, we want it to mean that. Yeah, the best vengeance is gonna be nice to him. No. Heaping fire coals is also in the Proverbs and you see it in the Old Testament. It's a symbol of purity. When Isaiah receives that coal, the angel takes it and touches it to his lips and he's purified. The heaping fiery coals is, Paul's kind of saying, you know what? Maybe by all of your, doing good and all of your love, you're, you're storing up all of these coals on them. Then maybe it's going to get to a point where it's too much and maybe they'll meet God and they'll be purified. It'll come crashing down because of the way you love them. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. This is how we learn to live from the overflow of God's grace. To really to love now, if, if we're not going to, if we are going to love our enemies, we're not going to fight back. We're not going to give up on them. We're not going to run away. We're not going to just go tuck into our homes and not talk to anyone. But instead now we're going to love like the love of God that we've received. Look at verse 32. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? So now he's kind of disarming us from the, okay, well, I'm going to be really kind to uh, other Christians. Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about people who are not just like you, either enemies, people from other races, people from other income brackets, people who dislike you, people who mistreat you, people who aren't like you. This is who I'm talking about. Verse 32 again. Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? This is not scratching each other's back kind of living. There is nothing supernatural happening in the status quo. So I know we can think, okay, I'm just going to be nice to people, nice to me. I'm not going to make enemies. That's what I'll do. Jesus says, no. So what if you're nice? 
Satanists are nice to Satanists. This has to be more than how Satanists and Satan worshipers treat each other. This has to be something supernatural, something the world doesn't understand. That may be something like when a Christian invites a Muslim coworker over for dinner. The world would think that's enemies. But something supernatural is happening there. When a Christian fixes the flat tire of their anti-Christianity coworker, when a disciple has an enemy at work, help, help them move into their house. Something supernatural is happening there. We are living like children of the Most High. Verse 35, but love your enemies. Those who are not seeming to be with you all the time in your life. Do what is good to them and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. What about our Father? He is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. We are living like children of the Most High when we love our enemies, when we do good to those who aren't just like us, when we show kindness and mercy and we pray for those who are against us. And God is gracious to the ungrateful and to the evil. Right now, this moment, God is being gracious and merciful to the evil. I mean, what air, what air are ISIS soldiers breathing right now? God. What sunshine and water will the president of Planned Parenthood enjoy today? God's. Right now in all of history, God is gracious to those who hate him. He makes the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. He makes the sun rise and fall and set on the righteous and the unrighteous. And God has received all of those sins committed against him. He has been at the brunt of all of those offenses more than we have to the infinite degree. And yet he is merciful. This is how children of the Most High live. We must, we will be children of the Most High. We live this way. And since we are in Christ and his spirit is in us, these traits, these genes of grace and mercy and being gracious to the ungrateful, this is now in our gene pool. If we are in Christ, this is not natural to us. This is supernatural. And we love our enemies not to become children of the Most High, but because we are children of the Most High. We show it by our love. We show that we're the Father's children. You know, my son, Oliver, he's three, and I wear this one Rockets hat a lot of times during the week. And he'll, we were praying the other night around the bed, and he took my hat and he put it on his head, said, I'm Papa now. You pray now. You pray now started like ordering us who was going to pray. I was like, all right, buddy, that's fine. And then the next day I'm, I'm taking him, you know, go potty. And then we're about to leave to go to my mother's house. He grabs my hat, throws it on his head. says, I'm popping now. We're going to stay home. I said, no. I said, we're going to go. So you better drive. Okay. You be popping now. And he gives me, you know why? Because he knows I'm your child and he wants to be like his father. He wants to be like, he wants to imitate his father. If we are children of the most high, 
we must imitate our father. Or we must wonder, am I really a child of God at all? If I don't desire mercy, if I don't desire kindness, if I don't desire to pray for those who mistreat me, if I don't desire to show grace, am I a child of the most high? Because when I was an enemy of God, when he saved me, he showed love to me. As Paul tells us in Romans, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. We were enemies of God. We were against him. We wanted nothing to do with him. And if you, if you don't think you were ever an enemy of God, I doubt if you are a child of God. We didn't follow his word. We didn't believe his promises. We wanted to do our own thing in our own way and wanted to keep God away. But God had other plans because he is gracious and merciful to the evil, to the evil men and women in this world. He had mercy towards his enemies through the death of his son. Do you know God's mercy towards you? Have you turned from being an enemy of God to being a disciple, to being a child, to being a worshiper through the death of his son? Have you been reconciled to God? If not, you can by faith in him today. He is willing to invite you into his kingdom to adopt you. Lay down your weapons against me and come into my kingdom. And friends, Jesus reconciles us, unites us to God, as the Bible says, by dying in our place by taking our sins. When we were enemies, Jesus now says, I will die, not in, not in the place of like, oh, I'm just gonna be a good example for the world. I'm gonna die as an enemy of God. I'm gonna take the place that was rightfully yours as God's enemy. And I will die in it. I will be punished as an enemy of God. He turned the other cheek as they punched him, ripped out his beard, Jesus didn't call a legion of angels. He turned the other cheek literally and metaphorically. He did good to those who hated him. Jesus blessed them while they cursed him, mocking him. He prayed while they mistreated him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They took his clothes away right off of his back and gambled them at the foot of the cross. Jesus loved those who could never repay him because he knew what was at stake. Salvation, mercy, eternity. And he rose again from the dead, showing us and reminding us what really is at stake and what is eternal. His kingdom, not ours. His righteousness, not our vengeance. His name, not our reputation and pride. If you know the mercy of Jesus, if you know the mercy of the Father, if you've been made new by Christ, by his death and resurrection for you, be merciful. Just as your Father is merciful. That's verse 36. With Jesus' grand conclusion of all this, if you're a child of the Most High, be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. Just as, 
Just as the Father has been merciful to you, and if you know God's mercy and the death of Christ, the offering up of his life, the laying down of his life, the picking up of his cross, be merciful just as your Father has been merciful. You former enemy of God. The gospel's our template to love our enemies. We saw last week how the gospel's our template to forgive. Now the gospel is also our template to love our enemies. This is countercultural. This is otherworldly. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel of the kingdom. This is our template. This is our model. This is our instructional video, not some Russian dash cam. Love like you've been loved. No leaving, no fighting back, but gracious and merciful, just as our Father has been merciful. And Jesus knows you will face your enemies maybe today, tomorrow, later this week. And the risen Christ, who's with you always till the end of the age, he says to you, let's love your enemy together. I know what's at stake. Trust me. And let's overcome evil with good. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.